Happy Father's Day to everybody, and I wanted to thank everybody that for that tribute that you did for Melody and I. We, uh, it's been, you did it a couple weeks ago, but we just now listened to it. It's about 30 minutes long. It was awesome. So thank you. We feel so honored uh, to be your pastors, and we're grateful. I just, re- I was reminiscing that uh, how we were in Africa, and God spoke to us to come to Pueblo, Colorado specifically, Never been to Colorado before in my life, and at that particular time, didn't know one single person. So uh, that's a tremendous, tremendous journey. So we're thankful. Our scripture that for the year, the Lord spoke this to me back in November, and boy, I'll tell you what, this has been so appropriate for this year. Romans 15, 13, the Passion Translation says this, now may God, can we say it out loud together? Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. So I believe that the world needs to see hope within you and me. Amen. Um, I was just thinking over the last week or so about, um, you know, Father's Day and uh, what a father would say maybe on his deathbed. Just stick with me. It's not going to stay morbid, all right? But um, instead of saying something vitally important on your deathbed, how about us communicating with the way we live in front of our children, in front of the world, the rest of our life. And uh, because we communicate more with our life than we do with our words. And so I was just thinking of this, and this may help you to stretch you a little bit or whatever. It stretches me. What I want, like my wife, for me to live in front of her, and that is, to some degree, that I love her as Christ loved the church. And then I thought about my kids and grandkids uh, and then the church family. And they were basically the same, so I just put the two together. But, uh, so this is for all of the kids, grandkids, and the church family. And the number one thing is, is to know him, to know Jesus, to know God. Uh, because the Bible says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that you know him. So eternal life is not necessarily a destination. Eternal life is him. So if you know him, that's going to transform your life. So that's the first thing. And then to, to love people. Because Jesus said, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples, that you're my followers, is your love for one another. So I think that is bigger than anything. And, uh, and then as far as what I want you to know is that Christ is in you, which means his power is in you, his grace is in you, his love is in you. And 1 John 4, it says, you can walk even as he walked. So that is all in us. And so granted, you say, well, man, that's just hard for us to have a revelation of that, to, for that to be manifested in our daily life. But you know what? On this journey of life, I know that's been more manifested today than it was a year ago or five years out of my life. And, uh, but I just would like everyone to know that there's greatness on the inside of you. Amen? 
And then this other thing, this is just because this is Mike, the fun-loving personality that came right out of me. And that is, I would want everybody to be yourself, to be yourself, to enjoy life, which means you can be funny, you can be silly, even downright stupid. And at times, you can just be frivolous or whatever, but always know that God loves you and he enjoys you and always you're accepted and loved by him, no matter what's going on in your life. So how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Um, I know that there's so much going on in our world today, right now, and a lot of mysterious things happen in your life and my life. Things that go unanswered, things that we don't have an answer for. There can be tragic things that happen, and you think, why God? And there's a mysterious part of our journey called life. It's just mysterious. And the thing is that I want us all to get in this mysterious journey is that you can still trust God. You may not have the answers. I don't have the answers. You don't, a lot of us don't have all the answers, but that's what trust is about. I don't understand, but I can trust him. And uh, I know there's times when, I remember this one time I heard this guy, he was just cussing God out. I mean, all the four-letter words. He was just cussing them out, and most people would go, oh, and I just said, I think God can handle it. I think God can handle that. But having said that, I want us as a church family not to get offended at God, you know? First of all, because, you know, people have the wrong uh, mentality of God because a lot of people in the world think that God puts sickness on people, that God causes tragedy, that God's, that everything that happens on this planet is the will of God. That it would be horrible. What kind of God would that be? He's not that God. Anyway, that's a whole other teaching in itself, but because of that, people get offended at God because they think that God does everything. God calls me to lose my job. God calls me to you know, to break my arm. I mean, and so they get offended, get mad at God. And so I hope as a church, the longer you stay here at this place called Rocky Mountain Family Church, that you understand that God is not your problem. He's not your enemy. He's on your side. But um, I believe in the goodness of God no matter what. In my foundation, even when I don't understand everything, this one thing I do know and nobody can take it away from me, that God is a good father. No matter what's going on in my life, God is a good father. Can you say amen? He still splits the seas and calls people to walk on dry ground. And that's not literally like he did literally back in the time of Moses. But I believe he still splits the seas of financial problems, of physical healing problems, of relationship problems. I believe God still splits that and causes you and me to walk on dry ground to where we can still have joy and peace and the love of God being manifested in our life. He's still doing that today. Amen. Last words of people. I've just been looking over this and Googling. Man, it's amazing what you can find out. There's been things quoted and written down that happened over thousands of years ago of what people said, the last words that they said. 
which I just think is phenomenal. And I think that's interesting to me. You may think that's weird, but I noticed two themes, two different receptions of what people responded on their deathbed. The first one was hopelessness, worrying and depressing. Uh, They feared what was about to happen. That was one set of people. You could read how they responded on their deathbed. And then the other one uh, was hopefulness. Shouts of joy, confident messages like there's things written, this isn't it, death is not the end, it's only the beginning. So those are people that believed in God. The other ones were that people did not. And uh, the last words of Jesus were when he was on the cross, Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He says as it is finished. But he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Stephen, when he was being stoned and they were killing him, he basically responded the same way that Jesus did. Father, forgive them. In the case of Paul, who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament, I, I didn't find anywhere exactly what he penned on his deathbed. But we do have some of the last words that he wrote in the Bible. I mean, he spent his whole life telling people about the good news of Jesus. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says this, The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So there's three things he said, I hope I've done, that you and me, I think, would also say that we hope we've done in the, and throughout our life. The first one was, he says, I fought the good fight. If there's a message that we need to hear on this planet today is that our fight is not with flesh and blood. Our fight is not with people. It's not. It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle that, uh, of, that's going on, on if you're in this world. The temptations. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 uh, basically says that uh, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. And then the second thing he says is that He finished his race. Paul finished his race. And what I like about what he said is in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says this. Now, listen, just to give you a little bit of backdrop, most of you know this, but Paul, what kind of life did he live? I mean, have you ever just read a little bit about Paul? And the first thing that comes to my mind is, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not Paul. You just look at his life and you think, did he ever have a good day? Did he ever have a good day that somebody didn't throw a rock at him, didn't cuss him out, throw him under the bus? Did he ever have it? I mean, because when you're reading it, it's like, if he did, it's not many. Snake bit. Did y'all see that post I posted on Facebook? I caught that four-foot bull snake. It was alive. Somebody thought it was dead. I go, no, I caught it. It was Melly was sitting in the backyard. This is the snake bit part of Paul. I'm, I'm on point, so just hang on. So uh, she was sitting there. She star- I'm in the house, and she starts yelling, Mike, 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 there's a snake, there's a snake. So I walk out there, and sure enough, right in the backyard, there's a four-foot bull snake, and he was headed toward the chickens. We got chickens. He was headed for breakfast. And uh, so I called him, and uh, my son, I said, can you drive me? And we went far out of Pueblo West, just for those who are freaking out. Some people say, you didn't kill it? I go, no, I hate gophers 
way more than I hate snakes, and they eat gophers, so they are my friends. But anyway, um, so I took them way out in Pueblo West, away from how You don't have to worry. You didn't let it go in your backyard. But um, so I let it go way out there. But uh, Paul got bit by a poisonous snake. You know, bull snakes are not poisonous. They're harmless. But uh, he got bit by a poisonous snake. I mean, he was put in prison for two years. He was, people followed him to ridicule him. I mean, he had revival and riot all the same time, all the time. And uh, he just lived a rough life. And yet in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, this is what Paul says about his life. He says, but none of these things move me. Whoa, man, isn't that good? I mean, you can do anything you want, but when the dust settles and the sun sets, I'm going to say, hey, you didn't move me. Nothing moved me, nor did I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my course or my race with joy. If I was Paul, I would just said, I want to finish, period. But he says, I, I finish. He says, I'm finishing my life with joy. I mean, do you? That is just like spitting in the devil's eye. So you took your best shot. Guess what? I'm happy. I'm joyful. You couldn't even steal my own joy. He goes on to say, I finished my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So he finished his race, but he didn't just say, I finished it. He says, I finished it with joy. That should be your testimony and mine. Not, I'm glad it's over. Or, dear Lord, when is it going to be over? <laughs> We've all probably had that thought in these last few years. I mean, past few months. But. And then the third thing he says is to keep the faith. Faithful to believe in God. He was faithful to believe in God. Colossians 1.23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which I, Paul, became a minister. But what makes a good fight good? When I was in middle school, probably more than any, maybe ninth grade, it kind of waned after that, but I would get into fights because I had a bad mouth on me. And um, anytime you say something sarcastic to somebody bigger than you, they're probably not going to let you get away with it at least in Kentucky, where I grew up. But um, so I would be in a few fights, and my definition of a good fight, it would be one that I won. If I didn't win the fight, if I got, came home with a bloody nose, which I had before, bloody nose, black eye, and that kind of stuff, you know, that would be a fight I would say it was not a good fight. But Paul says, I fought a good fight. Now, the great thing about the Christian fight is this. It's not a fight that we participate in in fighting and overcoming. Hear me out. It's a fight that you and I stand in because of the battle and the fight that Jesus won for you and me. There's a big difference. You see, Paul said this. I am dead to sin. I've overcome sin. I'm not trying to defeat sin. That should be your testimony and my testimony. You say, well, I still sin. No, 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 no. You need to understand that sin has no power over you. Let's go to the next level. It also means 
that I am not trying to muster up faith on the inside of me so that I can attain something that God said is already mine. By that, I mean this. You know, so many times in my life in the past that I would try to say I need to improve my faith so that I can get a hold of healing. For example, healing. You know, we believe that Jesus, 1 Peter 2, 24, that by his stripes you were healed. Not going to be, but were. When did healing take place? Healing actually didn't take place when you received or healing manifested in your body. Healing took place 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's when healing took place. When did salvation take place? It didn't take place when we accepted Jesus. It took place 2,000 years ago. Jesus didn't come back in 2020 and say, okay, I'm going to die for you now. No, he already did it. Salvation's been paid for. Healing's been paid for. All of your needs have already been paid for and provided for. So the good fight is mostly between your ears and my ears. Realizing that what Jesus has done for me, I need to believe in. The Bible even says in Galatians 2.20 that the faith of God is inside of you and me. His faith is inside you and me. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet it's not I that liveth, it is Christ in me. And the life I now live by, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The faith of the Son of God is inside you and me. So in reality, we really don't have a faith problem. We have a reality problem of what is inside us. I believe that Jesus has placed everything. Do you think people say, where's Jesus? You know, I've invited him into my heart. You know, he's inside of me. Let me just get you to think in your common sense realm. If Jesus is inside of you, did any part of Jesus, did he leave outside of you? His love is inside of you. The love of God is inside of you. His healing power is inside of you. His providing power is inside of you. Matter of fact, the Bible even says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. How many think that would have to be a powerful spirit to raise somebody from the dead? The exact same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and me. So there is no lack. We as a church and I'm talking about around the world, have been crying out to God to do something as if the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection was not enough. Ow. I'm just saying it was enough. It's what you and I don't comprehend and have the revelation of what happened 2,000 years ago. That's why we don't see the healing that we should be seeing. That's why we don't see the manifestation that we should be seeing. That's why we don't see the revival that we've been seeing. So if we don't see it, we obviously think that it's a God problem, so we're crying out to him still to do something. And you look at America, man, that's the church's really major echo. Are you going to do something? Are you going to do something, God? I mean, really, it's getting bad. Are you going to do something? And he's on the inside of us, and he's saying, are you going to believe something? Are you going to believe something? Wow. Everybody say, I love the pastor. 
<laughs> I tell you what, this is such a free. It set me free years ago when I started understanding that Christ in me, the hope of glory. That God, Ephesians 3.20, God is doing exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think according to the power that is in us. God said in Mark 11, 23, he says, don't you speak to God about your mountain. You go to your mountain and speak about God. So where are we missing it? There's a short connection, but the short connection is not between us and God. It's between us and our two ears. We don't know what he's done on the inside of us, what he's placed on the inside of us, the power that is on the inside of us. Oh, hallelujah. Anyway, part two of this message. (laughs) That's what makes a Christian fight a good fight. That's why Paul said, when you've done everything, stand. When you've done, in Ephesians, he says, when you've done everything, stand. He doesn't just say, get out your boxing gloves and just go fight the devil. No. When you and I have a revelation that the devil's been defeated, he is a defeated foe. I have nothing to fight with him about because he's defeated. I'm not trying to beat the devil. He is defeated already in my life. He's defeated. Now, he doesn't know that. He will try to manifest himself and speak to your mind, speak to all of our minds to try to tell us he's not defeated. And the sad thing is we believe him, but he's a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning, God said. And he still lies. And the sad part is Christians still believe him, just like Adam and Eve. But anyway, so that's a good fight. It's one that's not one that you've won the best fight that you can be in is one that somebody won for you. Now, that's a good Christian fight. Jesus fought the fight, and he defeated, the Bible says, he defeated the, the enemy for you. Every foe has been defeated. That includes sickness and disease, poverty and lack, and everything in between. It's defeated. That's good news. I said that's great news. The gospel Good, good news. But I want to talk to you on the second part of this real quick. And that is, you know, you you want to live a life where you have not very many regrets. And this is what I know. The more that we know God as God, the more that we know God, I believe the less regrets we'll have. How many believe that's true? Having said that, All of us have regrets. All of us have regrets. But I don't believe God is ever going to say to you and to me, you know, like, um, you really should have done that differently. I remember when we were in Africa as missionaries. You've heard me tell this story. Some of you haven't. I was, it was kind of like there was no entertainment there at all. Zero, zilch, nada, no stores to go to. Nothing. And uh, so I was, dad had a dirt bike. So that was my only entertainment. We did play board games, but you know, that's kind of zero adrenaline, zero adrenaline. But on a dirt bike, you can get some adrenaline flowing. And so I was acting like Evil Knievel doing jumps and doing Mach 1, and I was coming up this hill, and it, and it turned in 90 degrees, but I was going Mach 1. Nothing was going to turn going that um, fast. So I ended up crashing and 
broke my foot and everything. And this guy was on the road. And uh, uh, Monty, give me one minute. She's coming to play the piano. She's going to be playing a long time. But anyway, so um, <laughs> I didn't want her fingers to get tired. She's got skinny fingers that get, get tired. So anyway, this guy sat there and said uh, in Swahili, Brother, brother, slow down. Ndugu, ndugu, mpole, pole, which means you need to slow down. You know, after you break your foot, you don't really need that kind of advice. <laughs> that didn't help me. It's like, oh, thank you, appreciate that. No, I gave him a look like, really? Of course, he didn't understand that because that was English. But anyway, it, it, God's the same way. He, he's not going to do things like that to you, but... Do you measure your life by the world's yardstick or by Christ's words? If you're measuring your life by like what everybody else does in the world, you're always going to have more regrets and, and nothing's going to, you're never going to measure up. But if you measure according to Christ's words, what does God think about you? He says you're the righteousness of God in Christ, that you're holy before me. He says, you're my beloved child. You're always accepted and loved by God, no matter what. I believe that having regret is the biggest tool that the devil uses today. The biggest one. Why? Because you can't do anything about your past. So if you have this major regret, you're just going to feel bad all the time, and it can spiral into depression because you can't change your past. And everybody here has regrets, even if you're 12. You have regrets. But you need to get ready for your future by getting over your past. We're being robbed of joy and happiness by hanging on to regrets. Could we have done things better? Of course you could. But you're not going to put the toothpaste back in the tube, honey. It's just not going to happen. And you're not going to change your past. But this is the, the great news. We have grace to finish. Whether you have five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 75 years. I'm trying to look, see. 90 years. There's some young ones back there. 90. I mean, what, no matter how many years you got left, you got grace to finish. How did Paul have zero regrets? I thought about this. You know, he said, I finished my course with joy. He didn't have any regrets. If Paul, if you study the life of Paul, I mean, he, he brutally crushed the church when he was Saul, before he became Paul. He was killing Christians and having them thrown in prison. He was doing all these terrible things. And you would think that would he have some kind of remorse at the end of his life, some kind of regret, but he did not. He didn't. How did that happen? I don't know, but it's something you and I need to make sure we get a hold of. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, this is what he says. This is a guy who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. One thing. He didn't list a three-point sermon. He could have listed a point. Listen, I'm getting ready to leave, but there's only one thing I want you to make sure you get a hold of. This is a guy who taught the world the gospel. But he says, one thing. Everybody say, one thing. One thing I do. Forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. One thing. 
I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a passion translation. He says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. But I run with passion into the abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill, wants me to discover. This is like what I'm saying. You have everything on the inside of you. So our journey called life needs to be a revelation of that so it can be manifested on the outside. Verse 13. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. Paul says, I have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. He never went around talking about that. He says, man, I'm sorry I killed all the, your, your brothers and your sisters. Man, I did bad. I just did wrong. He didn't go around and have a crusade of self-pity. He says, I forget all of that. It's in the past. I forget it. I run straight. Verse 14 for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who fully mature have the same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. And let us all advance together to reach this victory prize following one path with one passion. You look through the Old Testament. I mean, people like David. You talk about regrets. The dude had premeditated murder because he had committed adultery with one of his major generals. And so he had him killed. And so it's just like, you talk about regret. But David had to have some kind of revelation that he just forgot. He pushed that out of his mind. God must have the same mentality because he said in the New Testament, David is a man after my own heart. What? David, the guy who murdered and Adultery and all, I mean, he did some bad things. You look at God said, yeah, he's a man after my own heart. Forget those things in the past and press toward what is ahead. You look at Samson. You look at Abraham. Even Moses. Moses was a murderer. He was a murderer. He had to forget some things. Can you imagine giving the Ten Commandments to the, to the whole nation of Israel? Okay, here's on, been etched on the tap. Thou shalt not kill. You all make sure not kill. I mean, how many people would have been that? <coughs> Excuse me. You killed. I mean, just saying. <laughs> I think of things like that. I just think like, I'm so glad it was him. <laughs> I wouldn't want somebody to go, hey, you did that. Well, yeah, but so whatever. Just listen. There's all kinds of examples of this. These men and women had to have a revelation of letting go of the past. If my goal is to reach over to Melody, but I go, you know, I just can't because I'm holding on to the past. I just can't. I mean, I can't do it. Yeah, you can. The reason that we feel like we can't attain some of the things that God has placed inside of us or God has for us, this is the reason. It's not because we lack the ability or the power of the strength is because we are choosing to not let go of the past. Because if you let go of the past, it's an easy thing to go forward. I'm telling you, it's the biggest tool I believe the devil uses on mankind. Hang on to that. Yeah. 
And he'll give you HD. HD quality has been the devil's repertoire way before it's been in the world. He'll give you HD quality. This is what you did. Roll it. I looked at all these people, what they had put on their tombstone, their epitaph, what their last thing was written. Man, there's some been popular people. It's like, good night. There's some terrible things, some sad things. But this is what, this past week, I'm closing now, Monty. <laughs> this past week, uh, I was meditating on some negative things. Could have did the church better this way. I could have raised the leadership better this way. Could have, could have, could have. And uh, I, I was just thinking that. I wasn't saying it much. But one morning, Melanie and I, a lot of times, we'll go out under the tree and have coffee when it's not winter. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't say anything to her, but when I was getting ready to walk out the door, she said, make sure you spend at least 10 minutes thinking on good things and how good God is or whatever. Obviously, she knows me that I don't have to say it. I was just going, so I came to the church and I spent four hours walking. There's probably a path for a worn out carpet right through there. Four hours, turn the music on, just four solid hours of just being with Jesus. And this is, I took some notes on a pad and this is what I got for us. God says on your tombstone will be accepted and loved by God. He said, that's what I see my children. That's how I see my kids. He says, you make sure you tell them that. That's how I see them. Accepted and loved. Approved by God. Man, I'm telling you, that has set you free. Because that's what God wants you and I to have ingrained in our brains and our minds that we're not trying to get to the standard and acceptance of the world when we've already have been accepted by the God of all gods, the Father of all fathers. You're accepted and loved by Him. So I just want you to know that today, before you leave here, all of us have regrets. Could have, should have, or wished of just want you to, in your mind, put them here at the altar. Every regret, something that's been nagging you, something that's been, oh yeah, something that's been 1969, that happened. Dear Lord, have mercy. You've been hanging on to it for 50 years. I don't care if it happened yesterday, last week, last month, last year, a decade, 20 years ago. This is the day that you can say, I left it at the altar. Because the devil will bring it back to you. You go, no, 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 no. June 24th, Father's Day. You remember Father's Day? Yeah, I remember Father's Day. That's the day I buried that regret. And I'm not holding on to that any longer, devil. Can you do that? Let's stand. A lot of sad things that I read about with people and just a sad life. And I'm just thinking how, uh, especially I, I was looking at and listening. I just came across some stories about 
how uh, men struggled with being an alcoholic or drugs or whatever. And a lot of those were their father abused them in one way or the other. Or they, their father was an alcoholic, smacked them around or told them that they were useless. And I just think, man, how sad. We have the greatest fathers. You may not have had a great father. You may have had a really good father. But no matter how good your father is, no matter what's going on in your life, we all have regrets. And so I just believe it's the heart of God for everybody to walk out the back door today with zero, absolutely zero regrets. Knowing that God loves you and that you're accepted by him today. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for opening up our eyes spiritually to know that we are accepted and loved by you. Thank you, Father, for people to have joy back in their life again, happiness back in their life, that they realize this tool called regret has robbed them and and just made their life miserable. Yeah, sometimes they put on a happy face. Yeah, sometimes they go, they can get through it. But deep in their emotional soul, they've been scarred by what they have done and won't just let it go. Today, today, may this be the day that it's left and buried, never held on to again. We pray that, Father, in the name of Jesus, may people be set free for the joy of the Lord to be their strength. And, Father, that they would have the same testimony as Paul, that we finished our course, that we ran the race with joy, that we are running our race with joy no matter what. We thank you for it. And thank you, Father. Bless